0: Welcome back to the What The Folk Happened this week podcast. It's been an action-packed week, and there's plenty to unpack, not least beginning with Sunderland AFC. I mean, who the hell is William Story? What the heck is Rich Energy? Why the hell has been going around landmarks in Sunderland? Of course, Lee Barry Catamore has hung up his shorts and broken many hearts with it. We also ask, are Barcelona broken, and how are they beginning to fix it? Is Pep Guardiola a fraud, or is it just one game? All that, and much, much more. We're a little bit late, um, but nonetheless, there's absolutely loads to get tucked into. And this week, I've got the EFL accredited journalist and something that goes very own, James Copley. How are you doing?
1: You all right? I'm really good. Thank you for that intro. It's nice to be on the podcast.
0: Yeah, no, it's not a problem. It's been a while, is not it? It's been a, a few years in the making and a, a few things that uh, have led us to get here, but we're here.
1: We're here. We are indeed. I think the last podcast we were on, I think Chris Brown and Danny Collins were involved about two years ago, maybe, which... I've right. on
0: the password. I've still got the folder somewhere. My hair's a, a bit of a shocker, like so. I'll not be pulling that one out. Um, <laughs> there's no better place to start. There's tons of things to get through, and thankfully a few Sunderland things that are actually big news. But um, <laughs> I don't know if this is news, to be honest. But it's it's funny slash terrifying slash interesting slash weird. Uh, Mister William's story just cutting about basically <laughs> anywhere in Sunderland. What
1: what do you make of it? Well, I think you touched on it there when uh, you don't know if it is news. I mean, it's kind of not, but somebody's shouting very loudly and making it news at the moment. Uh, It's difficult to know where to start. I mean, he's just just come out of the blue and says he has these blue-chip backers and he's said a lot of things that are very hard to stand up that could be true, but that could not be true. And he's kind of... Got this NDA, the non-disclosure agreement, in place, so that's tied his hands. But then his background is extremely um, questionable, so to speak, in terms of his um, Hass and Rich Energy uh, relationship in F1, and there's been a lot written about that. I don't really know. I don't really know. a need to get into that. Of course, Mr. Story disputes these claims and and says the the kind of the truth will out eventually. But at the moment, if you're searching William Story's name. In a Google search bar, next to F1, then nothing much positive comes up. And of course, he's entitled to his opinion, but he seems to be outnumbered from what I've read. And outnumbered by some you know, pretty clever journalists and, and some very knowledgeable fans. So that is concerning. Does he have the money? Probably not by himself. Do we have any, any evidence to suggest, other than his word, that these backers are really wealthy as well? No, not at the moment. Will we get that evidence? I am really not convinced, but I I would be happy to be proven wrong. Do I think he's gone about a takeover of Sunderland in a right way? Not particularly. It's not how I would have done it. I think there are shades of Stuart Donald a little bit in terms of saying things that might influence the fans. You know, He's got a couple on side by talking about Newcastle and posting the old photos and, stuff like that. But so some of it's been inaccurate. I mean, when he's when he's on um when he was on Seaburn Beach and he called it Roker Beach and <laughs> said the North Sea was was an ocean that, that ran that rightly annoyed people. I mean if you're gonna try and buy a football club, I suppose you, you've you've at least got to be accurate. So for me it's very concerning. Um very concerning indeed. And yeah, I mean he, he seems like a very colourful character and who knows what will happen, but it just seems like a very Sunderland episode. And I think it's also very telling as well that through the BBC's Dick Barnes, um, the words kind of got out that William's story isn't one of the bids under consideration and neither's Mark Campbell. Um, and that line's kind of, you know, been, I, I think probably a oh lot, I don't know, I haven't spoken to him, but I think probably deliberately kind of put out there to kind of, you know, issue with a fan base, reissue with a fan base that this guy isn't being taken seriously at the moment. But he may well prove us wrong and come back with his backers, but I really don't see it, to be honest.
0: I think I listened to his interview with with Nick Barnes and uh, Simon Pride. And You know what, if this was done like two years ago and he didn't have any of the get mad, crazy history that he had with Haas and F1 and stuff. Now, I'm definitely not an F1 expert, so I can't really touch on that. Um, he didn't sound that different to the way like Miffin and Donald sounded. It was all like, Sunderland's this, Sunderland's that. And it's like, I don't know if it's just as a Sunderland fan, I don't know how you feel, James, but um, I'd rather someone just come in and be like, just just fix it and just, you know, words are empty. And I, I can't say I know too much about finance, but I know it doesn't look too great. And to be honest with you, um, I probably just look to see what Chris Weatherspoon thinks these days if Chris Weatherspoon <laughs> yeah. likes him. Great. Look, if he doesn't, I'm not trusting.
1: <laughs> Chris Chris Wellesford is most def- most definitely the authority on all things um, Sunderland and finances. He's uh, he's tremendous. But I think um, I think yeah, what, what you say is right. I think if this had come at the end of the Yellow Short era, he may well have been welcomed in the same way as Stuart and Donald and, and Charlie Mether were. But because of what's preceded William's story, talk is cheap at the moment with Sunderland fans and. Actions will speak louder than words and do speak louder than words, and you kind of look at takeovers elsewhere and and you know the the real high end of sport professional deals and these takeovers just happen you know the, the well with the exception of, of Newcastle up the road they seem to just kind of pop out of nowhere there's a story there's not much said, and then one day it just happens i don't you don't see many takeovers where there's grandstanding in the way that story is done coming up to coming up to the Stadium of Light. I've got no idea. I haven't heard anything whether he actually met up with Stuart Donald. I'm not sure. So it's entirely possible that he just went up to the northeast to stand outside the Stadium of Light. I don't know. William's story, then this is just me speaking. My personal opinion and my personal take on the matter is that he appears to me that if he was in the Stadium of Light or he was entertained by Stuart Donald or you know, there would have been a picture maybe of him in the Academy of Light or in the Black Hat House or something like that, because it just seems a bit strange to take a picture standing outside of the stadium of like why wouldn't you you know take one in or why indeed would you take one at all when you know a deal is kind of we don't know where a deal is it just seems a bit a bit odd in my opinion
0: i think um there's a few people the first so thought the the photo was photoshopped and then he would like you rocked up outside of poundland he rocked up outside of did he go did, i can't believe he missed well, out the opportunity for i can't believe he missed out the opportunity for jackie white's market if you really want to get into like you know the nitty-gritty of what something is and you're missing out jackie white's completely he didn't even go inside the isis and nothing i'm a little bit disappointed because i think for me if you're going outside jackie white's market then i'm kind of un, i believe that you're understanding what something's all about but uh on a serious note like Someone said, they, what is it they said, um, and I can't remember who was that said it, but they said if he didn't have a big daft beard and he didn't have like the look that he did, would we take him more seriously? And I, I disagreed with that from a distance. I didn't I didn't reply to it, but I felt like I don't think it got anything to do with the way he looks. If anything, that's kind of making me buy into him because he looks like he, he might come out with some pretty decent this decent music, do you know what I mean? That the, the stadium, we're not going to be having the uh, the the EBM like like Metham would have, but I don't I don't think Lux got anything to do with it. It's just his past, isn't
1: it? Hundred th- percent. I think it's churlish to judge somebody on looks. I really do. Um, you know, we live in an era of free choice, and if he wants to have a beard, I'm sitting here with a beard myself. Not quite as long a story as mine. Um, his is, a, is impressive, but you no, know, I, I think you've got to take him. You've got to take take him on what comes out of his mouth and what we know about him and what we know and chris weatherspoon will, will tell you he's had a look at the accounts and a lot of people have had a look into the accounts you know they, they don't look great and he, he claims that the company's worth this much but then the accounts two years ago showed that there isn't that much money in the bank so it's it's a weird one i can't profess to haven't looked into it you know in detail myself but on the surface having read a few pieces it it doesn't look really good and there's also the things with the um you know, his photographs with Dave Sullivan and the Sainsbury CEO. We don't know too much about these photos. I mean, we know that um, he had links to West Ham in terms of sponsoring uh, West Ham's women, but how far does that go? You know, did him and David Sullivan talk a lot? So, you know, West Ham isn't really uh, in the best shape at the moment, so if he's getting advice off him, then I don't know. I'm, I'm not really sure how I feel about that either. And short, sure, but it's almost like he's kind of throwing that at us. As kind of oh look at me I'm competent I've spoken to the previous owner. It's like, well, for a lot of Sunderland fans, the previous owner still thought of in pretty negative terms. So it's, again, I just find it very scattergun and very odd. Yeah, I think that
0: that is probably the best word for it is is odd. And I mean, I think some of us have had have had a good laugh at it in, in points, but then when you really look into the nitty gritty, like it's, it's a serious thing. You know what I mean? Like if he's um, if there is a takeover that needs to happen which would probably bring me on to, you know, what is next? And there's numerous groups chat chats I'm in where we're all Sullenland fans and we've had that discussion. And we all come down to the same conclusion that if there's going to be a takeover, it's going to be one of Storys' mates. I think there's people who still hold on to that that fantasy, that FFP you're going to take over. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Um, I'd love to be proven wrong. I'd love this to be sort of copied and edited and, and, and played out and people go, ah, you were wrong, because I'll be very happy if that's the case. But I think realistically... It looks like it's going to be if anyone wants to like Satori's mates, which kind of scares me a bit because what I'm reading is that oh, Satori's got mates and he's going to ask them to do a favor. Like, I don't want you to take over something as a favor, I want you to take it over as a, an actual project. But I mean, taking out the hilarity of uh, or of the scariness of, of uh, Billy's story. It's still really quite worrying that like the closest we seem to be to a takeover, at least in the media, it is Bill's story. Like what what's actually going on with it? Nothing's really come out because Stuart Donald hasn't even ruled out story at all. There's been whispers and I think it was James Hunter came up the other day and said not happening, but Stuart Donald's actually not come out and gone absolutely not a chance. Like we've got this one people we're speaking to, they've got a period of exclusivity and, uh, yeah, we're still working with him. He's just said nothing. He's just gone. He's turned into like Ella Short in the, the championship season, hasn't
1: he? Yeah, it's kind of gone from one extreme to the other. And you know, after the way things soured on on Twitter, which I would suggest was a um, a mutual thing that wasn't necessarily all of Down's fault, but wasn't necessarily all of Stuart, uh, all of the Sunderland fans' fault either. As has been, you know, kind of suggested. I think it was a mixture, but lessons. Needed to be learned and mistakes were made on both sides and Twitter can be a horrible place as we know. Yeah. Um. So it's uh it, it yeah, it's um it's it's a really 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 difficult one. But on the William Story thing, I I just think and the and the Stuart Donald thing, I'm just I don't know. I'm I don't know if Stuart Donald would feel comfortable coming out and denying stuff like that publicly. I think that's why the message probably came through, you know, Nick Barnes and and James Hunter and and Phil Smith. Um. I think that you know. I think that's why I don't think Stuart Donald really wants to to be seen on social media anymore, which would be his only outlet. Other than maybe a club announcement, I'm not really sure whether they would do a, a club announcement to distance himself, distance himself from that. But it is complete polar opposite to what the approach was in the beginning of Madrox's reign, where it was all you know transparency, open, honest kind of communication, which has had its benefits. But when messages change and you know, discrepancies start to arise. Fans did see through it, and you know, I wouldn't wouldn't like to say it was a, a deliberate kind of thing on Stuart Don's part, but the goalpost changed, and and fans noticed, and, and fans are going to call it out because fans are extremely smart.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one thing that a lot of people underestimate. Maybe William's story's underestimate is that we are smart, and and the one thing with Sunderland fans is. uh I think you can smell bullshit a mile off um, because we've had enough of it. So we are the best at sniffing it out. We're like we're little sniffer dogs with that kind of stuff. Um, but the biggest news that came out of Sunderland this week, forget William's story. That guy's now in the past. He probably will never be in the future. Um, Lee Barry Catamore, one of my all-time oh, ultimate cult heroes. And I'm genuinely upset that he's, he's retired. Unless he's coming back to manage Sunderland immediately, which is probably not going to happen because we don't live in a utopian world. But um. Ten years we had a Lee Barry Catmore. He went to Venlo for one season. It's still kind of you could feel him missing, but it felt like he was still here because everyone followed Venlo. People were buying Venlo shirts, and and Katz is just one of those people that you know people to idolise. And I've got to say, you know, him is I don't know him. I've I've had interactions with him, and, and Katz is one of the loveliest, nicest men I've I've ever had the privilege to even have a conversation with. But what do you make of his retirement? Because I was actually quite surprised at thirty-two. I think that's I think that's quite young.
1: It, it is. Very young, but he had a lot of miles on the clock. Um, I think he made his first team debut for Borough at age 17 or something and then was captain not not long after that, which shows you how much esteem he was held in at the time. And he really burst onto the scene. There was a real possibility that he possibly even should have. I've seen it being suggested he should have gone to a couple of tournaments. When you look at the players that have been at tournaments and have been capped in that position, I'm not going to dig anybody out, but maybe there is a possibility that Catamull, especially in the form he was, under Poyer during their great escape season, could have been him with a shout. But, you know, in terms of what he means to a Sunderland fan, I'm 26 now, or 25 now, so Lee Catamull had signed maybe when I was about 14. Um, so he's kind of there through like, you know, 14, 14 to like 21 is a pretty important time in a, in a geezer's life, I would say. Not that I'm a geezer, that's just a, a turn of... <laughs> I've always said this, but he kind of embodies the... He embodies the characteristics that make a Sunderland player for me, a proper Sunderland player. Like He is is in the Kevin Ball mould. We all know how important Kevin Ball is to the club's history. Kevin Ball is in the mould of Gary Bennett before him, and Gary Bennett was in the mould of Bobby Kerr before him. That kind of battling midfielder, hard man who loves the club, would run through a brick wall. A lot of people don't know that for a long time he was playing um, injured, I think. I think I heard that a couple of times. It was such, he was so desperate to, to help Sunderland on the pitch. And, it, you know, an underrated footballer, he could get on the ball, he had a great long pass. Um, he was a driver of standards at the club. Um, he did things mostly right. There was always this kind of accusation that was born out of the De Canio handling of him, which I think you two actually discussed yeah. in the podcast that you did. Um, which Catamol kind of put to bed and he's sort of fallen out. It was just a case of, I think if I remember correctly, it was a case of De Canio just didn't fancy him and that was it. And then out of this came this Catamol's part of the rotten core because he, to eat, he wants to eat ketchup or something. And it's like, well, I think that kind of became a bit of a myth. And I remember when I was doing a bit for um, the podcast Wise Men Say, Craig Clark, who... Um, Worked, uh, who does a bit of stuff for, for wise men say so he was with a german reporter from the uh, german newspaper bild and they'd come yeah. over for an interview with Catamull I and remember i remember katmol who'd never met, who'd never met these two people before in his life in the tunnel um, just been absolutely brilliant with the pair of them the, the guys german was uh, sorry the guy, the german guy's english was um you know calm and patient and asked questions and you know was all too happy to answer Craig's questions. He's a massive Sutherland fan and, and loves Cats as well um, and was quite happy to to answer anything and everything and, and have a chat. And that's, yeah, that was probably my only interaction with, with Catamullo other than just seeing him bouncing around. But just always seemed like a, a very happy character that commanded a lot of respect. And I think um, he seems well suited to go to coach and I think it's somebody who think, I think he's somebody who thinks a lot about the game and that's maybe not something we credit him with. I, I, I'm just it's a shame really that he he had to leave on on such a bad season and there will be detractors that say yeah but he you know he was around when you were relegated twice in a row yeah fair enough he was but he was with the club for you know ten seasons and he stuck with us when we went down twice and he still wanted to fight and there will be cynics that say oh he stuck around because he was on a wage but uh, there's no doubt in my mind he could have left and he, he said as much himself that he didn't want to he did want to end on a relegation. It's just a shame from it it couldn't end on a promotion.
0: I think with uh, Katz, I've seen a few people saying that he was a uh, he was a very Mormite character, and I, I don't know. I don't really I don't really buy that. I don't think Catmull is a Mormite character in Sunderland history. I think he has a minority of detractors that he's, that aren't too fussed on him and. Very much echoed what you've just said um, before that that some people think about them, but I think a good seventy-five to eighty percent of people absolutely love cats. And I think um, talking about his interaction with, with Craig and his interaction with um, the German journalist, I've got to say he's he's always been absolutely fantastic. I remember when we um when we had Gus on this show and I think Charlie Oakway and I'd I'd, I'd sent a text and I always get nervous when I send him a text. <laughs> because i'm worried in case i say the wrong thing and it doesn't happen often it's like four times in my life so i'm not texting him every day i wish i was but i'm not but like just little things like you might enjoy this We'll discuss your time at um you know in the poet which obviously i'm, I'm sure you enjoyed and just little things like replying back saying thanks so much for sending me that mate i really enjoy that tonight i'll listen to that tonight and he's just got a, a good way of, of making people feel good about themselves and um at the same time he's he's very much He's very professional, I would say. Um, and I think that's one thing a lot of people don't realise about Cat when we talk about the, the rotten core, which I've probably been guilty of saying at some point during my frustration um, back back in the day and thinking, is he? You know, is he not? Um, and all I've got to say is everyone I've spoken to that's ever worked under or worked uh, with Kat is has, has, has literally said the polar opposite, that he's anything but. And, um, very, very professional guy um, to the point where the, the interview that we're talking about um, before that I did with him, I think two days beforehand, Jack Ross had just been sacked. Um, mm-hmm. And he asked if he could delay it because he wanted to be respectful towards Jack Ross losing his job. And I yeah. was just like, obviously I said, no, I'd rather do it just now because you're pretty much the best midfielder that I've ever seen in my life. Um, mm-hmm. And I read my chair. Um, But he was kind enough to, you know, I just, I remember the time thinking, wow, like imagine like thinking of that after you've left the club. And um, yeah, he's a great guy. And I'm, I'm really sad that he's he's retired because I think even if he came back and played for somebody else, anyone but Newcastle pretty much, I would have probably gone and watched it if it was local. And, and you know, I, someone like Lee Catamore, it's kind of like, I suppose it's when like Everton lost Gravison and you went to Real Madrid, it's a little bit different. But it's like you have this maverick that you just love and someone that really embodies like old school football, the shorts up high, the, the swashbuckling tackles, everything that goes with him. And I think, well, cats. I've probably complained about him sometimes when he's been on the pitch, but you don't really realise what you've got until he's gone. Um, 100%. And everyone who loved cats from the the very beginning um, were right all along because there was nothing quite like the joy of a Lee Catmull goal either, because um, it came oh. so infrequently and then became so frequent in League One. It was just if cats scored, it just it, things felt better. It was like when Paul Rudd smiles, everything's okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But um, yeah, but ultimately. I think, like you say, he's, he's got a lot of miles in the tank. I think it was 16, 17 when he made his debut against Newcastle, funnily enough, in a derby. Um, he has had his fair share of injuries. So, obviously, everyone's saying he's wanting to go into coaching and saying bring him back to Sunderland. But I think he could be a very good coach. Um, what your thoughts on that?
1: No, I, I think he could. Um, and I think Sunderland's crying out. Uh, this isn't in any way intended to be a criticism of Phil Parkinson's coaching staff because I, I don't, you know... I don't know them at all, and I'm sure they're all, you know, incredibly competent. But I think one thing that Sunderland has missed, maybe over the years, throughout, you know, Poyer, Allardyce, and the rest of them, is kind of like, you know, ex-players on the coaching staff. I look at, I look at kind of the likes of Danny Collins and Kieran Brady, and you know, Martin Smith, and a lot of. The other ex players and, and Kevin Ball probably should have had a, a little bit of a bigger role in, in recent times. And I like, I listen to them on the podcasts throughout, you know, throughout the Sunderland kind of media space. And obviously, talking and coaching are two completely different things. But I listen to them and I think they should be having, you know, some sort of an input somewhere other than just on the Sunderland Echo or the Chronicle or Wise Men Say or Rogue Report or yeah, That's not to, you know, say that. You know that's not a worthy thing to do because it is obviously, but I, I think sometimes those ideas maybe should be getting into the club a bit more. And I think Lee Cattermole would be ideally suited to do that. And I mean anybody who sticks an attacker like that on Darrell Young five minutes, well, thirty seconds in, probably thirty seconds. Deserves yeah. uh, deserves, uh, deserves his place at the table, I think.
0: It was. Uh, I always. I love his. I love his face when he uh, he pulls back just like I've done nothing. Hands up, like I've done nothing. I think you've just sent him five foot in the air, mate. You definitely have.
1: I remember. I remember Martin O'Neill. Oh no, sorry, it was um, It was Lee Catmull doing an interview on that actually, and he said like Martin O'Neill was on the sidelines screaming at me. Um, was it? I was Martin O'Neill was the manager, wasn't it? It was. It Scream was calm down.
0: It was the season before, and he was telling. He was shouting at Philip bartley saying, "Would he calm cats down?" It was yeah, a tackle on. One, it was a tackle on. Check I think the season was beforehand. It,
1: what I'm getting them mixed up. There's that many of them.
0: <laughs> and he said, I think he said, um, like Martin, I think Martin O'Neill was shouting at him, telling him to calm down. And he, he said, Oh, he said, Bardo, like, sort him out, sort him out, calm him down. And he said, I remember just thinking, like, I was the calmest person on the pitch. I just knew the season beforehand, we'd lost 5 1 without putting a mark on them. This season, we weren't, we were putting a mark on them immediately. And the best thing about cats in that entire game, and I think it probably, I wouldn't say it sums cats up because I, I, it doesn't really. But like the, the funny memory of that is he gets booked in the first 30 seconds for, for going through a Newcastle midfielder. Then he spends the next 90 minutes with the most professional performance, making sure he doesn't get booked, in the midfield, really top-level class Catamore performance. Cessna, if you remember, gets sent off for, for an elbow, uh, oh, yeah. which wasn't an elbow. And then Katz gets the second yellow at the end of the game for telling the ref to F off. So <laughs> that's that's uh, another reason a lovely Catamore um, and I think people need to remember with Kat as well, he always came back from stuff. I think I wrote an article saying we should definitely sell him when he came on against Luton, I think, in League One. You <laughs> know, he's spent, he doesn't look good enough, that's it, he's done. I was wrong, absolutely. And I think loads of people wrote um, Lee off many, many times. Um, People forget he didn't get into the team originally under Allardyce. It was actually Rodwell with Kirchhoff and, yeah, yeah. and Anvila. He eventually came back in and there's the, obviously the, the scenes against Norwich when he's screaming at Monone and saving things on the line. There's so many times Katz has been wrote off. And off the top of my head, the bad seasons cats had, the championship season was poor. But yeah, was. Nine, nine out of ten or whatever seasons it was is, is really not too bad, especially from a Sunderland perspective. Um, Moving away from something slightly, obviously I'm back up in, in Scotland these days, uh, very, very recently. Happy to be home. Um, with <laughs> with Scotland, though, not, not all is well in the, the Scottish Premiership. Things have gone a bit weird. Um, Aberdeen Celtic called off, few games called off recently. Uh, Boling goalie going away to Spain. Should have came back in quarantine, didn't actually play it in the game. I suppose... I feel closer to that league because of where I live and, and where I've lived for so long. So I, I'll, I'll come to you as a neutral. What do you make of the absolute batshit craziness and complete ability of Scottish football to just press the self-destruct button when they really don't need to?
1: <laughs> I think it's, it's absolutely crazy. I, I agreed with Neil Lennon's sentiments who I thought handled it very, very well. He was furious. about how can he you know, legislate for the, the actions of an individual who you know, wasn't forthcoming with the truth. I think it's it's harsh on Celtic. And then listening to Pat Nevin on, on Radio 5 Live, who was very eloquent about it and kind of the, the guidelines can sometimes be a little confusing. We're allowed back in bars and we're allowed in bubbles and guidelines are different up north to what they are down south. And kind of felt like Nicola Sturgeon was maybe grandstanding in the way that Matt Hancock was when he, you know, Football seems to have become this battleground. And when Matt Hancock criticised footballers for for not doing the part when the pandemic first kicked off, it kind of felt like Sturgeon was using this to show her strength. Maybe possibly, I understand that you know everybody has to be safe. But with the six Aberdeen players and, and the one Celtic player, that's seven individuals in a in a league containing And how many players and staff who've managed to um who've managed to have a brain fart and, and miss misunderstand the rules or or break the rules essentially so it kind of feels like an overreaction to me to cancel everything um but a stark reminder that you know sport and life as we know it at the moment is on a knife edge essentially and it's it's a real shame for Scottish f- football it's a f- great story though
0: yeah oh it's a cracking story yeah it's absolutely <laughs> tremendous it's uh it's just mad it's i mean i was and it, it is weird for um people who have seen i'm obviously I've been at Middlesbrough Women and we've, I think we played our fourth pre-season game Days so as speaking on the 16th. Um, and our first game was, was world's end. And honestly, I think some people have said like, you know, does it feel nice to be back? I think it was Michael Bowers He said, are, are you happy to be back? He said, I'm, I'm jealous of that. And, and absolutely. I'm in, I'm in such a privileged position that I can watch live football at the moment um, and watch it, you know, up close and, and film it and edit it and, and really feel like essentially for me, sport is back because um, I'm I'm with my team but um, it is still weird like going into the War's End game and it's obviously continued on since there was a temperature check sort of from the beginning um, first thing when you walk in every game the weirdest part was there's people walking around the pitch at half time with like Ghostbuster-esque like backpacks on full of like Sanitizer, just spraying the goalposts and spraying the balls and anything that you can possibly touch and just spraying. Um, I'm obviously filming games in a in a mask half the time, sanitising right, left and centre, players can't actually get in the dressing room, they haven't to turn up in kits and I, and I know it's a bit different at the level where we're at at the moment compared to you know, the Premier League and things like that where they can afford tests and whatnot but um, things definitely haven't turned to Back to normal for for footballers not not this not my experience anyway it's still very still very confusing so for certain footballers to sort going on holiday and then not quarantine them when they come back it just it is a bit baffling but you're right in what you're saying I think you know it was a big thing in Scotland and, and Sturgeon booked us she said it was a yellow card but. Uh, in the main, yeah, really well behaved. And I, I love Scotland, you know, and, and I know people have took it so seriously and I've obviously delved in between both countries. From a football perspective, you know, it's back up and running and stuff like that. But the fact that some players are taking liberties is just, it's just crazy. I just hope that, you know, but everyone can make a mistake. Um, Absolutely everyone can make um, imagine, a mistake.
1: Imagine being those seven players that just ruined Scottish football for the entire country. I mean, f- football's bad in Scotland. The, the crazy fan base up there like all Scottish fans I've met have just been like <laughs> crazily passionate. Imagine being the the, the imagine being Bull and then the, the six Aberdeen players that have ruined football for an entire country. They must be feeling extremely low at the moment. And <laughs> Aberdeen are going to get some stick. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: Aberdeen will be getting it for a while. Um, the the funny thing is, and I mean everyone's so excited for it to come back. I've got a friend who's a Hamilton fan, um, a guy called Ben, and and I think his photo went kind of viral. He he saw them in a pre-season game i think they're playing at hamilton and the only way he could get to watch it was from a hill if he got a like a tesco shopping trolley and stood on it with his mates um and it became like a viral funny photo but like that from what i know of ben you know i don't i don't know him as well as some people but obviously i've spoken to him quite a while and definitely during the pandemic in the same sort of various myself both just just finished university or currently in it and then it wasn't like a oh this is gonna be funny and get me loads of likes on Twitter. It was literally just like how can I watch Hamilton at home? <laughs> like it was as simple as that. And I think um I think people need to remember there's there's people in the game that will literally like almost decapitate themselves like by standing on a shopping trolley and hanging off railings to watch their football team when you've got players that are like privileged just for things to be relatively normal just without fans. But you know, everyone can make a mistake. And I think people talk about sacking people in right, left and center. Let's not do that. I think, you know, that's that's going down a hole. You you don't need to go down. Everyone can make a mistake. And yes, there's levels, but this mistake's a bad one. It's really, really not a good one. Um but you know, and I'll say this, if Dominic Cummins can do it, you can understand there's been a precedent set, you know what I mean? So you can understand if he's not getting sacked by a football, I might be a little bit annoyed if he lost his job. Um
1: and, and Boris Johnson's dad uh have degrees via um, of Morris. course Hungary or something ridiculous like that. You know, Absolutely, the, of the political the political power in the United Kingdom uh set the tone, don't they?
0: Yeah, a, a little bit, yeah. And well that's that's what they should be doing. Um but in possibly more of a, a different direction. Um talked a little bit there about Middlesbrough being back. Um I'm obviously delighted with that, delighted with how our preseason's gone. Super happy to be back with, with Borough Women. Um WSL starts very soon, the championship starts very soon. I think we're talking six days. Still no word on on our league as yet. Um what are you making of the the return of women's football? There's been a lot of talk about it how and how the COVID pandemic could affect it. Um, do you think it will affect it or do you think it's you know just going to have just as much interest as I had previously?
1: Yes, yeah, I, th- I think it's possible that that might happen. Uh, on the third tier, um, the tier that Middlesbrough women and Southern ladies are in the two teams of interest, from our perspective is, I'm here on the 20th of September, but I'm not... Well, my sources tell me that, um, that um, that's not set in stone yet. That's just kind of whispers flying around different clubs and, and stuff like that. So, who knows? Um, from a personal perspective, the initial curtailment and then the non and voiding of the third tier and below um, pretty badly, I didn't think that was, you know, didn't think it was the best thing for the game. From a personal perspective, I'm a Southern Ladies fan. There were 11 points clear. Cup final against. Derby County and they had a... Sorry, a cup final against Stoke City and they had a game in hand against second-place Derby County. So they were likely going to win the league. Um, They were unbeaten in the season, uh, in the league season. And they'd just beaten Stoke, um, who they were going to play in the cup final, uh, quite convincingly. So from a perspective, I feel like I've been robbed of the opportunity to kind of report on something great and witness something great as a fan. Um, so that was that was extremely disappointing. It just felt like the championship and, and the WSL1 were kind of given a bit more credence, but in terms of how it'll affect the women's game generally, I'm not sure. Um, I don't know if because people have been starved, 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 excuse me, of sport for so long, and it might increase, it might have little effect at all, but it's it's it is good to see that it's um that it's coming back. It's just a shame that. A bit like the Premier League and Championship seem to be moving away from leagues one and league two, or the Premier League seems to be moving away from the Championship increasingly over time. It kind of feels like there's two divisions, and then the rest of the divisions are below that. This whole nonsense where clubs have to, you know, apply for the place in the division, even if um, even if they're promoted. I know you kind of have to meet certain standards to move through the divisions in the men's game as well, but. The, the commercial standards that the, the FA expect of, you know, underfunded, let's get it right, women's clubs is um is weird. I think sport should be meritocratic and I think we shouldn't, I think the FA, irregardless of COVID, have tried to pigeonhole women's football down the men's route and establish, establish well-established men's teams as women's teams, so your Manchester United, your West Ham's, and, you know, I think stalwarts of the women's game historically like Sunderland women who were relegated through no fault of their own really and Doddy Bells and and countless others have kind of been shunted to the side because the powers that be have decided that the best way to grow the sport commercially is to you know build on the men's fan bases that are already there but we're seeing that they're two very different fan bases and I think women's football maybe should have been with some support from the men's side, it has to be said if they were going to as part of clubs, but should have been allowed to grow organically rather than trying to, as I see it, pigeonhole big men's teams into a, into a a top division women's league. I think it's been ridiculous, but I accept that having been as a Sutherland fan, having been on the wrong end of several FA decisions now that my view is extremely colored.
0: Yeah. And it seems that we're uh, with a, a lot of stuff and, a lot of people would be surprised to to hear, but obviously I'm, I'm not a, a Southern ladies fan. I'm, I'm a Borough women fan. Southern, Southern men Borough women, so I'm a, I'm a bit confused. Um, but there's obviously reasons for that. But um, yeah, there's a few people that um, do feel that way about that decision. And I can completely understand the frustration with it because... Obviously, being a Sunderland fan, something happened to us as well in the, on the men's side with uh, the, the League One, the fact that the team who were eighth got promoted and the team that finished 13th got relegated. A uh, bit, bit of a weird one, but I suppose that's, there's reasons for it. But yeah, not, none of that kind of sits right necessarily. I think mm-hmm. if my opinion at the beginning was if you can finish one season, you finish all of them yeah. or you finish none of them if you can't finish any of them. Um, so, it's yeah, it is a tough one, but I really hope it continues to to sort of grow. I hope that, you know, the success that the 2019 World Cup had, and obviously the, the World Cup before that as well, which has started building it and giving household names. Um, but for people who don't understand maybe what we were talking about and don't watch women's football, and, and I know there's been a few people that have been really surprised that have asked me, you know, does the team who finishes top get promoted? And it's like a no, not necessarily, because then there has to be a bid put in and then there has to be everything else put on top. It's a it's a bit of an unusual system, which I think is really hard to get on board with for some people. Um but yeah, that that, that is the world of women's football with, you know, hopefully people still come on board with it despite that, whether they agree or or disagree with it. And Hopefully, we continue continue to see the growth of it and and the household names across um, women's football, like, you know, Beth, Jill and and whatnot already. And, you know, you've always got Rapino across the pond um, already, like a a worldwide name. Hopefully that we continue to have more than that across all levels. Um, The big token point of this week outside of of that from the football that has been played, uh, Barcelona, bloody hell. Um, <laughs> I never thought I'd ever see Barcelona suffer a Southampton away-esque defeat like Sunderland did but here we are <laughs> 2020 surprised me in many ways and uh, Barcelona won them what did you make of the absolute thrashing of, uh, of Barcelona?
1: Absolutely mad Like it, it had shades of um, Germany-Brazil in the semi-final in, yeah. uh, in 2014 that's what it reminded me of the deepest of ironies as well that Philippe Coutinho, Barcelona's player, scores twice against them <laughs> and I mean, it's a, in, in a way the result is actually slightly comforting for me because it, it's made me realise that no matter how many good players that you've got, no matter how much money you've got, no matter how well run your club has been in the past, that you can still do a Sunderland essentially and just completely <laughs> bottom out and be humiliated, it's, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, the fallout The fallout for this is going to be dramatic. I've heard the manager's going to be sacked and he's going to be replaced by Ronald Koeman, which seems a left-field choice. But obviously, he did play for the club and they have lost the way. They've got an extremely aged squad, obviously. Messi's still a genius. is not getting any any younger. And it seems like they've lost the way, like bringing young players through. And, you know, a guy who plays for Bayern, Thiago, he should have been really the centre of what... Barcelona were trying to do in terms of different, different players, of course, but it's kind of a successor to Xavi and in, in Iniesta and Busquets in that midfield. and it, it seems like they've entirely lost the ethos of the club, which for a club with an ethos as strong as Barcelona, where it's blatantly obvious where it's odd. It's almost like Manchester United in a way. It's like, that their managerial appointments to me have been nuts until Oli. Really, I know Mourinho had some success, and David Moyes did seem like a, a solid appointment at the time. But you you play attacking football, and you develop the youth, and you you know you you encourage a kind of smart scouting. But as I say, it's encouraging because because you know even clubs on the biggest on the biggest stage can can really really get it wrong and. I mean that's like a, a seminal result in Barcelona's history. That I mean I won't be crying for the fans too much because they've still you know won the Champions League in the past five years and won won over many league titles and that. So I won't um I won't feel too much sympathy for them. But the fallout in terms of this you know quite, quite credible journalists actually um, reporting that Lionel Messi wants out and then he might be coming to the Premier League and it's like wow imagine that imagine Lionel Messi in the Premier League.
0: I still can't answer the question of what do you do on a cold Tuesday night in Stoke, though, because they've got relegated as well, which is unfortunate, really, if it happens yeah. now. Because I always just wanted to see if that would happen, you know. But um, with, with Barcelona, though, the, the funniest part of that, the whole thing, was like the interview with Thomas Muller afterwards. And they're like, oh, you know, what do you think the game, whatever? And he's like, oh, we had fun. Like, imagine being able to say that about... Um, about playing Barcelona. But that made me think there was... Tony Watt, obviously, he's been a guest on the show, and he posted something the other day which I completely agreed with, 100%. One of the most underrated players of all time is T- Thomas Miller. He never gets spoken about. And, and how good is Thomas Miller? And how good has he been for such a long period of time? Like, what do you think that's a, a
1: valid point? Yeah, 100%. Excellent for the best part of, like... 12, 15 years now, he's a, he's a phenomenal player, minimal fuss, creates loads, scores a goal, is a leader fun personality as well by the looks of it, and you, you, don't, you don't play for Bayern Munich for that long, um, unless you've got something about, you yeah, he's won the World Cup he's won the Champions League he's Mister Bayern Munich really now, isn't he? Now Philipp Lahm's gone absolutely tremendous way. and then you've and got Lewandowski I mean, as well Yeah, I've got Lewandowski 11, 11 yeah. no, I, I saw that <laughs> I saw that. That felt so
0: flat. Great personality with Lewand uh, with uh, with Thomas Miller, but I've never seen a joke fall more flat. If anyone hasn't seen it, he calls basically calls Lewandowski Lewandowski. Nobody gets the joke or finds it funny. So he says it again. Still, nobody finds it funny. He says it one more time, then clicks. Now, nah, this is not actually that funny at all. Um, I don't know what that says about you know people say the Germans have no sense of humor. I, I've been very much proven that that's not correct. But um, I think I think Thomas Miller might have been living up to the stereotype, was <laughs> so slightly. Um, but yeah, you know
1: yeah, I, what? I, I thought we.
0: You know, when it comes to like when it comes to Bayern, I think a lot of people have had the fallout with um, Barcelona. But at the same time, buying going from strength to strength, really kind of building that team now that has. Quality all the way through it, but loads of experience, loads of good young players. Obviously, you've got the young left back who's named completely um, escaped me, Alfonso. Is that Alfonso? But nonetheless, um, yeah, yeah, I thought it was. Um, Talking about the Champions League, final thing to kind of touch on, I suppose. I don't know if this is a ridiculous claim or if it is a valid claim. Guardiola is he
1: is he overrated? It's very, very difficult to say. I think, I don't, I don't know, I think he's achieved so much in his career and that Barcelona team that he had for like three or four years was just out of this world, unbelievable to the point where I've never seen anything like it or yeah. since that That measure of control on a football game is just crazy. Aesthetically, probably the most pleasing team I've ever seen play ever in his pomp with arguably two of the top 10 greatest players ever. Xavi and Iniesta in their pomp as well is probably something you know we'll never see. So you had the tools to make things great but then you listen to those players who also say he's the world's best ever coach. So they, they know the football. He was a great player as well. I think maybe he's been hampered by the early success that he's had. He did he's won titles at Bayern he's won titles at Manchester City. He has had a lot of money to spend and if you look at Jurgen Klopp's net spend and what he's managed to do in, in that there also has to be something in the fact that he's completely botched a winnable game against Leon, and that no manager, no matter how much he's won, is above criticism. It's, it's more nuanced than him being overrated or a fraud. It really, that really ticks me off when people call him a fraud. You know, you, you're entitled to think that he's overrated, but the man's not a fraud, for God's sake. And maybe he overthinks things too much and maybe he just needs to simplify it. I think there's something to be said for the Brian Clough way of doing things where it's just kind of, well, keep the ball on the floor and if you've got good players, you'll win games. City probably have some of the best squads in the world, um, but he will always come under criticism because he spends lots of money. He's at clubs with lots of money, and he's never really kind of built the club up in the same way that Klopp has at Liverpool. Because you look at the squad that Klopp inherited at Liverpool and where he's managed to get them to now, it's with the with the net spend is like absolutely crazy. I know it ended badly, but Pochettino at Tottenham. Um, didn't win anything either, but took them, you know, pretty far on the verge of a, a Champions League win. So I think, in, in a way, it's a high end manager. He's such a top level manager that he's probably, well, I, I very much doubt he's ever going to like invest in a project um, that's going to take, you know, six years to get a club to the Champions League final or to a Champions League um, qualification spot. I think it's very different, but. I think with everything, there's, there's there's middle ground. He's definitely not a fraud. He's probably not overrated. Do we have massive expectations of him because of the money he spent? Yes. Has he underachieved at City? I think you have to say yes. Yeah. In terms of the Champions League. Yeah, I would say so too.
0: I think, um, but I, I feel like he's he's achieved so much and he's done so much. Um so early in his career and he's so highly rated that any mistake he makes is kind of news as well. So it gets like yeah. magnified also. I think, um do I think his time at Man City is up? Not not really. I think you could still go another season and you could prove all of this completely like futile and and win absolutely everything and no one would be that surprised if he goes another season without winning anything. Um I mean obviously he's won the League Cup this year, but I mean like the Premier League and in the Champions League and then do you start looking at, you know, where to go next and demand city move on. But the question is where do you go from Guardiola? You can only really go, in my opinion, to Klopp or maybe to Shell and they're not gonna leave what they've got to go to City. It's just not gonna happen. You're gonna have to pay them like billions of pounds to even for them to consider it. So realistically, is he a fraud, is he not? Is he underachieving, is he achieving? I think Man City are probably best to stick with him regardless. It's it's one game, realistically, just a really bloody important game, unfortunately, for City. I think on another night, Sterling puts that chance in, which, you know, let's be honest, Sterling puts those chances in on a weekly basis. He's got like 20-odd, and nearly 30 goals a season, I think yeah. I could be wrong. Um, that goes in the back of the net. It's a completely different conversation, and all of a sudden it's can Manchester City win the Champions League once and for all. Football's fine margins, um, and no one's immune from that
1: hundred percent and if if you look hundred percent agree with that. Um summary if you look at you know if you look at the greats of the modern game, Bill Shankney, Brian Clough, Jock Steen, Alex Ferguson, Jürgen Klopp, Phil Parkinson, uh, Phil Parkinson, Zinedine Zidane, you know, Sam Allardyce. They've all lost big games at important times. Like yeah. it happens it happens, you know, f- there's I remember Fergie getting hammered for some of his tactical decisions in the Champions League. I was a, a very vocal minority, especially in the days of social media, and I think sometimes you've you've got to take a step back and think like, is what I'm reading like right minded? No, and like calling Guardiola a bold fraud, which I hear on on Twitter all the time, is it's just not to be taken seriously. And I feel kind of like kind of football coverage online in terms of Twitter from very vocal minorities of fans kind of tends to dominate the narrative now, which is a shame because he's not a fraud. He's just not. And probably 10 minutes in the company with Guardiola would convince you that he's not a fraud where he would get all of his medals out on the table, do some keepy-ups, blast a volley in the top corner, you know, from the halfway line. And that would be the end of that. It's just, it's monumentally stupid. Some of the, some of the things that people come out with on social media, but <laughs> we've all been guilty with it.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. We've all been guilty of saying something on it controversially with football that ends up proving us wrong. The unfortunate thing with Twitter, the Twitter verses, it can always be found. Um, <laughs> so hopefully, nothing that I've said on this show so far, nothing that you said on this show is proven wrong within three weeks, but that just kind of is my luck so far. I've had two of these shows. I tip Swansea for promotion, they will beat the next day. And I think my other, I tipped something else to happen. I think Rangers doing the league, which I'll probably be proven wrong with. But um, James, honestly, thanks, mate. It's really good catching up again. Uh, thanks for catching up with me and chatting about the week in football, so to speak. And um, effectively, go and buy yourself a can of rich energy. Uh, see what you think. And uh, who knows what's in that drink? Because it could be anything.
1: Yeah, 100%. 100% false promises, maybe that's what's in it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, Thanks Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been, uh, it's been good to chat again.
0: Pleasure, mate. <laughs>